As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Howdy, everybody. It's Arthur Staple. Welcome back to your latest episode of No Sleep Till Belmont, the Islanders podcast from The Athletic. Joined, as always, by my co-host traveling around the Northeast. I believe she's in my town now, Stanford, Connecticut. It's AJ Maletsko. What's up, AJ? Hey, Arthur. I am. Came down this morning, came through a little bit of snow. Of course, this morning I woke up to uh, news that three of my four kids had snow days today, and I uh, hopped in the car and saw my husband roll his eyes as I (laughs) hit the road, and I'm in Stanford ready for a game tonight. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that look before. It's the rolling eyes is uh, is a nice is a nice way to put it. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it stays that, uh, that genteel with the kids all home. But yes, we've had a lot of snow, a lot of time inside, which I guess is no different. Um, and we have had a couple of uh, interesting Islander games, uh, much better results the last couple than the previous five. But um, we're going to take more of an overview here from the first 11 games. Uh, all of our avid athletic readers probably saw today I posted uh, some report cards for the Islanders players through these first 11 games. And 11 games might not seem like a lot, but it's actually about 20% of this season, hopefully, given some of the COVID postponements that we've been seeing lately. So um, it's a more significant block of of the season that's gone by already, and we have a pretty decent sense of what the Islanders are doing this season. Um so I'll just kind of throw out a couple of the uh, the names at the, the maybe the extremes of the report card list to you, AJ, and we can kind of break them down. I, I only gave out one A, and that was to Semyon Varlamov, which can also lead into what he did last night against the Rangers. He hasn't given up a goal yet in Madison Square Garden in two games, and imagine if he hadn't gotten dinged in the throat by Cal Clutterbuck for that third game, things might have been even more different. Um but to me, he's been the best Islander player so far. I don't know if you agree, but uh, what do you see from him? And what did you see from him last night that uh, he's just been lights out at times this, so far this season? Yeah, you know, I well, first of all, I'll say that I have not read your report card yet. And it's that's not it, that I don't it. read your <laughs> athletic articles. It's that I was driving all morning. Um, so I will go back and take a look at it. But, uh, but you know, to me, Semyon Varlamov has been excellent. And I would agree with you. I would give him the best score overall. He had a, a, you know, a few hiccups here and there. Now the whole team did. So it's not fair to put it on him, but I think what makes him so good is that he is there to bail them out when they make mistakes. Now, unfortunately, when they had, you know, a tough 
second period against the Capitals, the whole team did, including Varlamov. Uh, now, with that said, he started on a four-game win streak and then, of course, went on a little bit of a winless skid. And then he had his 500th game where he comes up with a big win against Pittsburgh. And then to last night, that was the best I think I've seen him this season. It is a short season so far. We're just at the start of it. Um, but what I really liked is that he was so calm. Yeah. He wasn't. He didn't look like he was... Uh, jumping around. It didn't look like he was overhyped. He was there. He gave the whole team that, that sort of that presence of calmness that Barry Trotz has asked of him. And, you know, in the third period, they had some defenses, la defensive lapses, which is very unusual for a Barry Cook Trotz coach team and very unusual for the Islanders. But, you know, you see a Panarin breakaway, you see a Zibanejad breakaway, you see these things and no problem. He bails him out. And that's why Barry Trotz, he calls Pecorino the eraser. And he sort of gave Varlamov the same thing. He said, he's going to be our eraser. He makes everything a little bit better. Yeah. I mean, aside from the the really good chances that they gave up, it, that looked most like Semyon Varlamov from, from the playoff bubble to me that, like you said, very calm and net. He was swallowing up a lot of shots, not leaving. I don't even think he, he left maybe one or two rebounds on anything that, that could have been dangerous. Um, and those two saves on Panarin and Zibanejad were were you know that was that was vintage Varlamov where he you know he he made you know Panarin made about twelve moves and and Varlamov didn't move more than an inch or two and just swallowed up that shot with his glove and then the Zibanejad save um, I will say Andy Green I thought played that really well by taking away the pass I think that's that's a veteran play by Green to recognize his goalie is uh, is playing lights out and you want him to to face somebody one on one and take that challenge as opposed to leaving the you know, a, a pass across the slot line open. And, you know, when you're looking at the defense and the goalies, when they work together like that and they trust each other and they get to know each other, you're talking about green, obviously veteran player, Varlamov, veteran goaltender. And you're right. I thought that was a really nice play, but the other, the other comment, quick comment I was going to make about Varlamov part of the reason he didn't have to move a lot is that he was always in the right position. So sometimes you see these, these crazy saves that these goalies have to make and your, your eyes are popping out of your head, these windmill glove saves. And it's because, Sometimes it's because they're out of position. Varlamov was so sound in his positioning, he, the puck just kept hitting him. It's almost like it, it made Panarin and Zibanejad look like they didn't do enough to score, but Varlamov just didn't give them any daylight. Yeah. So I only gave out two other grades that were above a B plus uh, among the players, and they were both forwards. And it's Matt Barzal and Jordan Everly both got A minuses in my estimation. Um, Barzal, I think we've talked about him already. You know, I don't, I don't see any real dip in his play. Um, he's had real dynamic moments. I feel like in almost every game, um, and even you know, his line didn't really produce a whole lot uh, in the last couple of games, but he still was involved uh, in the game against Pittsburgh. You know, with the, an assist on the on the power play goal, and then he's the facilitator getting the puck up the ice for the two nothing goal that's uh, that Matt Martin scores last night. Um, you know, before he got off for a change. So we don't even have to go into too much about Matt Barzal. We know where he's at, and he's looked great. Jordan Eberle, I think, is um, someone that uh, if you're looking a little bit more long range, if he can keep playing this way uh, as fast as he's playing and as well as he's playing away from Barzal, especially in the last few games since they swapped him and, jo and Josh Bailey, um, that's going to be huge for the Islanders in terms of offense. If they can have those two lines with someone who's who's going as well as Barzal and Anders Lee. I don't want to leave Anders Lee out on that top line. And then Everly, uh, with lately with Nelson and Brock Nelson and Michael Dalcall. Um, when Anthony Bovillier gets back, I think that gives them some options too. You don't have to plug Bovillier right back in on that second line. You can maybe put him on a third line and get some more stability there. So Everly's good hot start is great for him, but it's also great for their forward group. 
Well, I think on every line, obviously you want all three guys going, you want them all connected, but if you can have two going and then have a third guy that you slot in, then I think you're looking, you're looking pretty good. And I think that, um, that right now, Everly's got to drag Brock Nelson into the fight because Everly looks good. He looks fast. He looks engaged. He looks like he is, he is just always ready to do what's needed. Right. And he's got a lot of speed. Um, I would actually, in that a minus range, I would actually, I would put Anders Lee up there. I think he has been just as good as those two, Matt Barzell and uh, Jordan Everly. And part of it is just the way the consistency that Anders Lee has faced every game, the hard work he's done along the wall and the hard work he's done in the net front presence. Um, but, you know, back to the the two that you mentioned, Matt Barzell, I agree with you. Quick comment on him. I just want to keep an eye on his penalties. He draws a ton of penalties. He's taking more this year. He's commenting on, I like that he plays on the edge, so I don't want to see him worried about the penalties, but that would be one thing. They do need him on the ice. Don't, you know, you just hope it doesn't spiral into frustration. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think the Beauvillier question is an interesting one, because if you throw Bo back on that line, um, you know, maybe that brings Brock Nelson up, but I also love the idea of what you're saying. If you drop him down with JG Pajot, you now have a, you have a much more solid, consistent, balanced lineup and secondary scoring is so big in this league. You cannot just have scoring from one line like the Islanders had before that Everly Bailey switched. So, so if you get Beauvillier back and depending on what he looks like after his injury, and if he's ready to go and you put him with Pajot, that could be a great one, two punch on that third line. And then and then Drops has to figure out who's the best uh, best complement to them there. And there have been plenty of people auditioning for that role. So so I do agree. I think Everly has been fantastic. He's setting the tone. And, and hopefully he drags other people into the fight with him. And just before we tilt into some of the lesser grades, uh, Andrews Lee got a B-plus for me, which is plenty good. Uh, A-minus is a fair one, too. Uh, a couple B-pluses on D, I think, for Adam Pellick and Ryan Pollock, who... Haven't produced a lot offensively, but you know you watch Pelic when he's healthy. There is you know in the even in the East Division, I don't think there's a more classic def- defense you know capital D defender than Adam Pelic. And I've been beating the drum on him for a long time because it was beaten into my head by the previous administration, guys like Jack Capuano and Doug Waite and Gar Snow, who said when this guy's healthy, he's going to really help us. And uh, I believe it was Greg Cronin one of the old assistant coaches who dubbed Pellick the Cobra because he just sort of lashes out with that stick and pulls the puck off of guys. Uh, very good players, too, because he's usually out against a lot of good players. But I feel like kind of slowly, you know, under the radar, considering they've had some breakdowns in their own end, those two guys have been really, really good again so far this year. Yeah, I would I would agree a thousand percent. You can see the trust that Barry Trotz has in them. Uh, they complement each other really well. Obviously, the loss of Devon Taves and the loss of Johnny Boychuk sort of shook up the other partnerships that they had. But you know I, what I what's so interesting about Pelic is you look he's not a he doesn't skate or look like a classic defender or classic you know there's sort of you look at him and you're wondering oh what does he offer here but you're absolutely right in the way that he plays he is a classic defender in this day and age people only look at the they you know the Norris Trophy goes to these defensemen that are putting up these big offensive numbers and obviously that's a great thing to have too to to offense from your back end but Pellick shuts people down and I think it's got to be frustrating to play against him just because his positioning is so good. And, you know, on that, on uh, Sezikis' goal last night, speaking of the offense, though, the way he got his feet around the puck was really good. Like, it was such a subtle thing. But instead of taking the puck on his backhand and taking the time to put it on his forehand, he hustled, got his hips open, opened up, and just took that one-timer. And that allowed all that chaos to continue as opposed to let the the um, Rangers get set. So, overall, I agree with you on, on the Pelic pullock pairing. 
Um, I, I do think that we all, all Islanders fans noticed how important he was when he went out injured. And sometimes it takes something like that to appreciate. Um, so I, and you know, last night at one point during the first period, he rushed the puck, right? I mean, he's taking the puck up, he's joining the rush. He's doing, he's getting a little bit more assertive because he, he and Pollock play off each other. They trust each other. They know how good they are defensively that they're able to jump into the offense every now and then. So we won't belabor some of the the lesser grades too much. I think it's been pretty apparent uh, who the guys that are struggling are, but I think I'll focus a little bit here on, on Brock Nelson. We mentioned him a little bit about, you know, you said they need Jordan Everly to kind of drag him into the fight. Uh, I gave Nelson a D, um, could have been an F, could have been a D minus, whatever. They're all bad grades, but, um, this is a guy who to me, and I think we've even discussed this because this slump that he's been in has been going on for a while. He's the most important piece, uh, of the group that's not going very well. If they don't have him going, uh, in the next few games, there's going to be some real tough decisions and tough, you know, it's not going to be, he's not coming out of the lineup, but just, uh, ice time allocation, things like that. They need this guy to kind of be the anchor in that in the middle of that forward group, and it hasn't happened yet. Well, and, and you look at uh, when when last year when they brought in Pajot at the at the deadline, everybody was so impressed with Pajot, and, and for right reason, including me. Uh, but what was so nice about it is that it solidified down the middle, right? You have Barzell, and then you had Nelson, who's been with, is historically so solid and consistent. Uh, for the Islanders. I mean, obviously he's had hiccups. 82 games is a long, long season. So I'm not saying that he was lights out all the time. And everyone always, we always talk about Brocktober, right? He starts strong. Um, but, you know, and then, then there was sort of a hole in that third line center. Phil Pla did a great job there. And then when he left, so, uh, you know, and then obviously the fourth line is the fourth line, the identity line that really looked good in the recent game, by the way. Um, but the, you know, when, when you have all that, the, that solid four, down the middle there, you feel really good about your lineup. And when you've got somebody like Nelson, who there's so many expectations, both on special teams, face-offs, defensive zone, he's big, he's rangy. Typically he uses his size, he uses his speed, and he just doesn't look engaged right now. He doesn't look like he's uh, he's sort of willing to go inside the dots. He's willing to sort of put his body on the line. And it'll be interesting. I agree with you. I don't know how Trotz, he's not taking him out of the lineup, but does he put Pajot there? Does he, and he, he does throw Pajot around, right? Jumped in for Dal Cole last night. We've seen him jump in for Bailey. We've seen him sort of fill, be that Swiss army knife that Phil Pillow used to be for him. So he's got that capacity, um, but I'm going to be so curious how Barry Trotz handles it and and how he tries to motivate him and what sort of line shifting goes on. When you've got Everly who's flying out there, give him somebody else that can complement that. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Now I just kind of want to get into um, Barry Trotz, 
hit a big milestone with a win over the Rangers last night. 850 wins. Now he's third all time behind only Scotty Bowman, who's might not be catchable. I think it's 1244. <laughs> uh, Joel Quenville, who's back in the coaching game and, and piling up more wins. Um, and he passed his good friend, uh, Ken Hitchcock, who I happen to have a chance to talk to earlier today. And we'll have a story running with some of his thoughts. But uh, I, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on on AJ, on, on what Ken Hitchcock said and just what we've seen from Barry so far this year. Um, Ken was was hilarious because he and, and Trotz have kind of had this sort of informal, he called it the Hitch and Trotzy Symposium. They've they've gotten together out in Western Canada in the summers uh, when they've been off and they've both been coaching the NHL a long, long time. Hitchcock just retired a couple of years ago. Um, and this year it was more over the phone and then some virtual Zoom stuff with some other coaches where they, they have amateur coaches, college coaches, other NHL coaches kind of in to sit around and, and bounce ideas off each other. And, and Hitchcock and Trotz do it one-on-one an awful lot, which is fascinating to me that guys who have been competitors for so, for two decades can can still manage to put that aside and, and do that and talk about how they prepare and all that kind of stuff. And, and um, one thing that Ken said to me was he doesn't really hear from Barry when things are going well. Um, when things are going poorly, they, Barry does want to talk, and they did talk when the Islanders were, were struggling out of the gate for a couple weeks. And uh, to me, the interesting thing he, he said to me was, um, when your team looks slow, that's a red flag for any experienced coach because it's not a technical fix. It's an emotional fix. And I think for a lot of Islander fans, this is not a team that, you know, when they look good, we even talked about it before we got on the air, when they when people call them boring, which does happen in the bubble in the playoffs they were playing incredibly fast as fast as any other team and producing and they looked like a well-oiled machine um and when they don't look like that they look slow i think that happens to a lot of teams but they are an older team that sometimes looks a little slower and so it's interesting to me to hear about that 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 is that ken hitchcock and barry trotz two of the most decorated coaches in the history of the sport say that that's the thing that can only be fixed by fixing your your want your work ethic um do you kind of see that with this team and and that when things start to fall into place like they did with the fourth line the last couple of games, that it's it's just as, as quick as that as kind of fixing your, your compete level? I do, and yet that sounds so much simpler than it is. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just saying, oh, flip a switch, work hard, right? And the Islanders are known for their work ethic, and the Islanders are known for that sort of uh, dig deep, grind it out, grit it, you know, forecheck, and especially, you know, I'm I, describing the Islanders, but really essentially describing that fourth line sets the tone for them. So uh, I do – I. I agree with that concept. I agree with the sentiment that it is, it's sort of the emotional side of things. And, and I think what's hard is that right now being in this pandemic, we don't know how this is affecting different people in general in our lives, let alone these professional athletes who it is their job to show up and compete every day. Um, And so they have to figure out a way how to do that, how to, how to, how to split that switch. Um, and, you know, you look back to the bubble hockey and they take Tampa to six games before Tampa goes on and wins it all Tampa Bay, who, you know, I've got their game tonight. They're probably the fastest team in the league right now. Now I have not seen every team live so that there may be people out there that would disagree with me. I just think they are a fast team and you're absolutely right that, that the Islanders skated right with them. Um, and I do think they look a little, uh, I don't know if it's, they look slower to me or if it's, they look a little, um, 
uh, hesitant or delayed, which I know is, is sort of a different way of saying the same thing, but their reaction time is a little bit slower. It's not necessarily their feet are slower. And so I think that that's starting to get a little bit more engaged. And some of that might be a short training camp. Some of that may be, uh, you know, who knows what it is, right? When you're an athlete, you're always trying to find that zone, that special place, which if you, if you knew how to do it, you'd snap your fingers and, you know, you'd make a million dollars just bottling that, that, um, that formula. So I, but I do think that there is something to be said for what Hitchcock and, and Trotz have talked about that it's not about going out and finding faster players. Uh, Bovillier is a really fast player. It's great to watch him when he's, his legs are going and he can fly by people. Right. Uh, but it's not just about that. It's how your mind works and it's how engaged you are. And I think that that's the Islanders are do seem the last two games, like they are more engaged. Maybe that break was just what they needed. A little reset, a little go back to the systematic approach and then trust the system, trust each other. And you, you talk perfectly about the Varlamov and Green situation. Trust that each of you will do your own job and therefore you can dive into your own job head first and then the whole team will look faster. Yeah. And I, you know, we always talk about from the outside, you know, um, is it coaching? Is it personnel? Um, you can make a case for either one when a team isn't going well. And I've been around the Islanders long enough to have seen some teams not go well. And, and sometimes it's very obvious that they don't, they didn't have a person, the personnel. And sometimes it was obvious that there weren't, there were key guys that weren't, weren't motivating themselves or properly motivated. And you always wonder what the role is of an NHL coach. And I think, um, you don't really wonder with Barry Trotz because of the things that people say about him and, and just his general demeanor and the way that he, uh, is able to to translate coaching concepts, which are just sort of you know management concepts that could a- apply to a lot of different things, uh, and he and he really makes them digestible for for us lay people, and even for you, I'm sure, for someone who played for such a long time, it still it still might sound fresh and new coming from a guy like Barry Trotz. And I'm always curious of all the coaches that you've had over the years, and when you see a guy like Barry, who has such an affable, approachable way about him, which is not always what we think of when we think of elite coaches. Um, how does a guy like that succeed for as long as he does, as long as he has with a, you know, um, he, he can certainly be tough, but I imagine that it's, it's not his go-to uh, emotion. So, you know, when you look at him, how do you see him have lasting this long and having so much success? Well, on a Zoom last week, actually, with him, I did tell him that um, I consider him sort of my my unofficial life coach, and I got a <laughs> laugh out of him because we were we were actually talking about Ted Lasso, and I and I I told him that I loved all the snippets that he and if you take a lot of what he says, it was he's great with words. He's great with us media. He gives us a lot of time. He's honest when he can't tell us things, right? But he he takes things and he tells you things about the team or about the way they're playing. And you can sort of take it uh, and, and think, huh, I could, I could use that. I can apply that to my life. Um, <laughs> so, I, you know, he was, he got a little chuckle out of that. But um, I, I agree with you that he doesn't have that. He, we, he does sometimes have that rough side and then it goes away pretty quickly. When they had that tough loss, um, the Washington against game. Washington. Yeah, the, when they when they lost late, yeah. Yeah, and he, he ripped into them. And, you know, and I remember a year or two ago, they had a really bad loss up in Montreal, and he didn't like – it wasn't the loss he didn't like, but I, I had to interview him afterwards, and um, and he didn't like that his team didn't support him. I think Pollock took a big hit, and nobody went to his defense. So he didn't like the, the just the how the team lost, not that they lost. And I think that's a really important distinction – um, so to answer your question, how has he stayed involved and stayed successful? You know, I think his relevance 
comes with his evolution. So he's not an, he's, he's got part old school coach cause he's been around a long, a long time, right? He built a program down in Nashville and that was before they had this expansion, which they sort of seem to have, um, really ironed out a lot of details with the Vegas and then moving forward with Seattle. I mean, back when Nashville did it and some of these other teams, right, it was real expansion and you're yeah. bringing these teams up from building it from the ground up. So he's been around, he's had to evolve with different owners, with different GMs, with different personnel on his bench, with different coaching staffs. Um, so, you know, I think that that's something that when you have somebody who doesn't, who has the confidence in his knowledge, like Barry Trotz does, but you also have the humility to learn from others and hear and listen. And that's what I, what strikes me about him. And that to me is how he's stayed relevant. He doesn't just stick to his guns. This is the way we've got to do it. And he is very forthcoming with his information to us. And again, within reason, but it's interesting to me, the dichotomy that he's working for Lou Lamorello and they obviously work very well together and they have a very good relationship, but Lou doesn't, give anything right. Or he would rather not give anything. He, he has no, he understands the importance of media, but really frankly, doesn't, doesn't necessarily care about the media. Whereas Barry Trotz, I think sort of enjoys talking about his team and he enjoys talking through hockey and he enjoys some of that side of it. And he generally cares about people. So, uh, you know, I don't know if that, if, if that's what you mean, but I just think the fact that he's willing to evolve in his style, whether it's, from game to game, team to team, year to year. I think that's the way he's been able to stay relevant for so long. Yeah, and in and, and talking to both Barry and Ken Hitchcock over the last couple of years about the, their little off-season symposiums, it's not about the two of them sharing their prodigious wisdom with a bunch of younger coaches. They listen, too. And there's, you know, talking to Ken today, he said it, you know, it was as valuable for them as older guys to hear what the concepts were, uh, the personalities are in college and in junior level, and that's and as you said, that's the way you stay relevant is to adapt with each generation. And um, you know, there's there's newer generations of players that are a little bit different now, I'm sure, than the way they were in the mid '90s when Barry took over uh, in Nashville, or even before that when he was winning a Calder Cup in the AHL. Um, it it just it, I guess it's it's that that's the way that you can you can always stay fresh is is to you know you don't have to you don't have to pretend you're younger than you are and try to you know listen to the weekend or listen to current <laughs> music or or do things like that. I think it's just more listening to listening to your younger people and listening you know figuring out what how they tick and and I think that to me is the thing that I've heard the most in the Islanders room and um, talking to some guys on the Caps too is that you know when you're a coach, you can, you can go by that old trope that my way, the highway, everybody gets treated the same, but you know, it's not true, especially at the pro level. You can't treat everybody the same. Guys don't get the same, don't make the same. They don't get the same amount of ice time. They're not regarded the same in the organization. And he definitely seems to be able to find out what's, what's important to each person and what's what motivates them and, and get them to a place where they, they want to compete for him. And it's, um, it's not an easy thing to do and to, to have done it for 25 years in the NHL is, is really something. Well, and you, you talk about the, the motivating different people, right? And obviously the different, you know, paychecks or different roles or, but a lot of that is just their different expectations, right? And so you go back to your grading system. A lot of those grades have to do with what we are, we ex, what we are expecting of these, these players, right? Some of them you expect to produce, some of them you expect to grind, some of you expect to do this. And, and if you exceed the expectation, then, you know, that's great. And I think for somebody even outside of pro sports, the best coaches 
give the uh, illusion that they're treating everybody the same. And so there's no favorites, but they do understand that everybody is motivated differently. And that to me is the hardest thing. And that's the gray area of being a good coach is how do you figure out how to push those buttons and somebody needs to be yelled at somebody else needs to be, you know, their tires pumped a little bit or whatever it may be, but yet never making people feel like there's a difference in the way you treat them. And for some, somehow over years and years and years, Barry Trotz has, has figured that, that out on a, on a number of different teams with a number of different organizations. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now it's time for some Twitter questions. You've got mail. I think a lot of our questions, uh, AJ, this week have centered around Leo Komarov. Um, I'm going to try to um, maybe PG-13 them up a little bit. <laughs> but it's safe to say that a lot of our listeners and followers are not happy with, with Uncle Leo and the way that he's played. To be perfectly honest, I think he's been fine the last couple of games. He had a terrible stretch the, last, the week before last. Um but I think it's more the, uh, like Dan Delgado here says, how does he keep getting in the lineup? And that's something that we've addressed and maybe we're going to continue to address because I don't think he's necessarily going to come straight out of the lineup for the next game. Um, but we talk about, um, you know, I think I think one of Barry's favorite phrases aside from trust is sweat equity. Um, guys that have put in put in the time to, to that you know, to have that work ethic level where he trusts them that they're going to do what he asks them to do. They're not going to do too much. They're not going to stray from what their assigned role is. Um, And it may not seem like Komarov is doing that on the ice. And there have been times when he hasn't done that on the ice. Um, But he, but Barry Trotz trusts him. And that seems to be the main factor when you've got some other guys that, that are a little bit newer in the league on the other side of Jean-Gabriel Pajot. Um, so yeah, so I'm going to throw it to you and put, make you responsible for speaking for Barry. <laughs> How does Leo keep getting in the lineup? Uh, well, I, I have not talked to, I've not asked Barry this straight up question, which uh, people on Twitter probably would love you or I or somebody to ask this question. And some people probably have. Um, I think that um, the if you ask that question to Barry, it inherently undermines his decision-making and um, and we just spent some time talking about his relevance, his success, and and what a good job he does. So, you know, Leo is an enigma to me uh, because in, you and I have talked uh, off, you know, not not uh, on the record, but um, we've talked a little bit about what the intangibles he brings and what does what does that mean? What does that look like? How has he built that trust? Is it just what he does on the ice? None of us know what it looks like in that room. Uh, now you and I can go in that room in non-COVID times, but that's still the the area that we're allowed. There's a whole nother section, right? That the media is not allowed in. So what does he look like on the bench? Yes, I'm down in between the benches in non-COVID times, but first of all, Leo speaks a million different languages. So half the time, I don't understand what he's saying anyway. <laughs> um, but you know, there, there are those intangibles that sweat equity is really important. And it's important, especially with somebody like Barry Trotz and an experienced coach like that knows that certain people are, are allowed to have a little bit of leeway. They give a little bit extra rope there. And, and I think it's tough for us to not 
to look past rather that uh, Washington game where he took that bad major and then he gave up his coverage on the winning goal with just a little bit of time left. Right. I mean, there was, there were some egregious mistakes that he made and then he's back in the lineup, but I do think the last couple games he has been good enough. And when I say that, I mean that he hasn't made any major mistakes. Um, and I do think that having him, when you've got a Bellows and you've got a Wallstrom who have a lot of upside and every time they're in the lineup, both those guys are impressive. I think it is good to have a little bit of experience along with Pajot. Um, so I, I don't mind that he's in the lineup. I think he does offer, um, he, he led the team in hits last night. I think I may be wrong. Maybe it was Zekas, but he had four or five hits. So he's, he's being physical. He's bringing some of that sandpaper. Um, I, I will be curious to see if we see Austin Zarnick back in the lineup. Cause I really liked him that one game and he's got experience. He doesn't have as much uh, sweat equity with Barry Trot specifically, but I think he's one of those players that could be one of those role players, a similar uh, to an uncle Leo type player. So to answer the question of why he's in the lineup, I think Trotz trusts him. And why does he trust him? I'm not sure that's for you or I to answer other than he right now is probably breaking even in my mind based on some of the mistakes he's made and then some of the good he's brought. So it'll be interesting moving forward into the season, whether that, that he gets a little more in the red or the black. Yeah. And I, and I think I agree with you about the breaking even. And I think fans kind of see that and say like, why do we want a guy in there? Who's just breaking even. <laughs> and I get that, but I, I, it's, we talk about roles. You always have to, if you're an Islander fan, and you look at the lineup, especially at the bottom of the lineup, whether it's the third defense pair, or the, the bottom two lines, you have to think about roles. And Leo does kill penalties, even though sometimes he's in the box when they're killing the penalties. He does do that job and he's capable at it. And they put, you know, aside from that moment in Washington, um, he's a guy that you want to put out on the ice when you just want a tie. You don't you don't necessarily need to gamble for a goal. And hopefully you're not going to be out of position to give up one. But if you're looking for a tie, I think you're thinking in your Barry Trotz, you're thinking like, this guy's had a lot of ties for me and his shifts for me over the last couple of years. So I'm going to go with the guy that gives me the ties as opposed to the Kiefer Bellows, where I haven't seen a lot of evidence yet that he can tie a shift or keep his feet moving or do these things that it doesn't look like Leo Komarov is doing very well, but does well enough to get off the ice after 35 seconds or so. So it's, yes, a to a low bar, but it's a different bar than some of the other guys. So um, we'll leave that, and I'm sure we'll be talking about Leo again at some point soon. Um, Brian G. has a question about Sebastian Ajo, which is, will he ever play in the NHL again? Um it's an interesting question. And he also asked about conditioning stints to the AHL and I, and the rules I'm sure are, uh, are there. If you have a guy on a taxi squad who hasn't played for a while, whether you can get him games, but you also have to remember there's only 22 more AHL games for Bridgeport. Like this is not a schedule where you're just going to drop a guy in for a weekend and then bring him back up because of quarantine rules. And if things are different. So I think, um, when you're on the taxi squad or on the roster, what you see is what you get. Uh, and I am I am interested to see um, how it proceeds with the defense, and I'm sure you are too, because you don't get through a whole season, 56 games or 82 games, with six defensemen. It just doesn't happen in the NHL. It doesn't really happen at any level where there's hitting. Uh, these guys wear down. Defense is a tough position. Um, and Ajo is ostensibly their seventh defenseman, but he hasn't gotten into a game in, in almost three years now. Um, do you think this plan can continue, and do, or do you sort of see like, there has to be an opening to 
at least put this guy in, whether it's for Andy Green or someone else who's a little bit banged up, just to get him a game so that he might be prepared for uh, some sort of eventuality, whether it's COVID or an injury or something. I think that um, until until there is a need, whether it's COVID or an injury, I think that Barry Trotz will ride these 60. I think this is who he wants. I think, though, over the, if the last couple of years, Islanders fans have watched Adam Pellick go on the shelf, Johnny Boychuk go in and out, right? There have been injuries that are unavoidable, and that was pre-COVID. Um, so I think that there's, you know, if they play the way they're supposed to play and they're blocking shots and they're playing that tough style, there will be injuries. And again, I think when you're looking at COVID, it's just all bets are off. Um, so I think that keeping those guys in with the team, um, you know, a lot of that is the important part is that they're gelling with the team. The, the difficult part is not having a lot of practice for, for people that are in the lineup or people that are trying to break in, right? Because it's just a lot of video time. And now that now all those meetings are done via zoom, um, so there's just not a lot of time to gel off the ice. So specifically to Sebastian Ajo, if if a defenseman is needed, I do imagine that Ajo gets in. And it will be um, interesting to see when that happens. I don't expect it will happen unless necessary. Now, the hard part is, do you get down towards games, really meaningful games, meaning you're fighting for that last playoff spot at the end of the regular season, or you're in the playoffs, and now suddenly you have an injury and you have a goal, you have a defenseman who hasn't played in three years. So that's the valid point. And that's what Barry Trotz has to weigh. And that's where he has to trust this, the, the other five defensemen that he has. And that's where he would probably get him in the lineup, but he would probably shorten his bench considerably. Yeah. I think we'd see a, a no adoption from last season situation. Well, thank you everyone for your questions. Thank you, AJ, as always for, uh, for, for your contributions and, and thanks, everyone, else. as always, for listening to No Sleep Till Belmont. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Leave a rating and review. If you're enjoying the show, it really helps us out. You can also subscribe to The Athletic for just $3.99 a month by visiting theathletic.com slash no sleep till Belmont. We'll catch you next week. Thanks, everybody.